together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent from absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meats or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if he be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why? as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honour to the satisfying of the flesh. Amen. That's why we read in God's holy and inspired word. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has given us, really in this, this book of Colossians, a delightful uh, epistle setting forth the glory of, of Christ Jesus as he is the, the head of the church. And do you know, this has often been the case, even right down through the history of the New Testament, that just as the Colossians here were assailed by the Gnostic type teaching, horrible errors and false teaching uh, hitting against them that God caused this to be the, the, the reason for Paul to write this beautiful epistle 
So it is that down through the ages, the church has been assaulted by false doctrines and false teachings in order that she may, as it were, dig her roots down deeper into the scripture and and search the scriptures more deeply and know the truth for her heart. That's what God does all the time in our lives personally, as well as the the church more generally. Remember that the, the Colossians had been assaulted by this Gnostic type teaching, this idea that a far greater knowledge and wisdom was able to be found away from Christ and away from the Bible. Yes, you can have this kind of stuff if you want to, but if you really want life, go for it in all this philosophy and ideas of men and and so forth. Satan's using the same attack today, The, the same idea that the philosophies and wisdom of men are actually going to lead you to enlightenment and to wisdom and to have a real life and living. And what they declare is that this horrible stuff here that's found in religion and found in Christianity and found in the Bible, what it does is it it enslaves and it oppresses and it holds people back from really being the people that they need to be. Well, Paul in contrast to to this, by the Holy Spirit, is setting forth the beauty and truth of Jesus Christ, that his kingdom is, in fact, all light and all wisdom, that Jesus is the creator of all things, that by him all things consist, and that in him all fullness dwells. And because of this, there is no greater truth or life or wisdom to be found anywhere else but in him. He only is salvation. And the preaching of this glorious truth is the ministry which was entrusted to Paul along with others. At the latter end of the the first chapter, that's that's really what we've been looking at so far, and at the end of the last chapter in chapter 1, Paul has been speaking of this gospel ministry that he has, this service. God wills to declare the marvels of his glory out into the world. And in doing so, his will is to give life to all of his elect people by taking them and uniting them by faith to Jesus Christ. So that, as we saw, Jesus, in fact, even dwells within them. It's the the mystery that, uh, that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. God wills to declare this wonderful truth of life and wisdom especially through the preaching of the gospel. And Jesus commissioned Paul to preach Christ. And having received that commission, Paul tells us in in verse 29 of chapter 1, that he has been striving and laboring mightily by the power and strength of Christ to bring the word. And therefore, as we come into chapter 2, remember this is just one continuous letter. There was no chapters or verses in the original letter when Paul wrote it. So Paul continues straight on into chapter 2, to, to speak of his great desire that people would know how much he is toiling and, and agonizing, as we'll see, to bring this truth of the gospel. He wants the Colossians and others to know of this, his struggles on their behalf and that so that they would be blessed and encouraged in their own seeking of Christ and all the riches that are to be found in him. Let's consider then our text under the theme, Paul's desire for the Colossians' comfort. Under that, we'll consider, first of all, this desire that Paul had and and what that was exactly. Secondly, let's look at his 
purpose for for revealing this this will of his and this desire of his and thirdly we then look at the reason behind that paul's desire for the colossians comfort in verse one paul says to the colossians and of course to us as well for i would that ye knew what great conflicts i have for you or if you like he's saying for I will that, that you know what great striving and struggle that I have for you. That word that's translated there in verse 1, conflict, is exactly the same base word that you find in verse 29, that's striving. And remember, we looked at that last time and saw that that word is, is the one from which we get the English word agonize, to agonize. And therefore, that's what... what Paul is talking about here. Paul agonizes for them. And remember that this is an athletic term. So taken from the the Greek athletics, whereby it it meant to give yourself completely, like in the Olympics, those athletes who strain and push every single part and muscle of their bodies to fling themselves until they're totally spent as they cross the finish line, as it were. That's the idea of this word, to, to agonize. Paul is giving every bit of his body and soul for the Colossians. But Paul is not doing this, of course, in athletics, is it? He's not talking about a, a, a physical striving. This is in the preaching and teaching of the gospel. That's what this agonizing is in. It's because Jesus has called him to preach the gospel, and he therefore goes about and he, as we saw from the end of last chapter, he warns and he systematically teaches And he toils and he strives in this. He agonizes in it. It's a wholehearted undertaking that Paul is doing. It's not some hobby. It's not some activity. It's not some side issue. It's not something that he's taken up to fill in some spare time. For him, this is an all-consuming activity, which he describes in 1 Timothy 6 verse 12 as fighting the good fight of faith. Paul says, I would that you know this, or if you like, I will. It is my, my desire, my wish, that you know this. Remember, this is not just Paul writing here. This is Paul writing through the Holy Spirit, who writes, I will this. In other words, it's, it's also the Holy Spirit who's actually speaking through Paul to say this is God's will for us to know this. This is important for us to, to know this, for the Colossians to know this, but, but also for us. It's important to know because this also brings home to them the central importance of what's being spoken about here. This isn't just a side thing or it isn't just one amongst many important things. It is the important thing in life. There is nothing else that is important besides this. Everything else falls into as it were, unimportance behind this matter. The truth of Jesus being the fullness of life in opposition to the false teachers who said that there was more to be found in life besides Christ. These matters, this is the important issue in life. But it's also vitally important to to have come home to to our realisation to the Colossians and to us as well that 
Paul's work of preaching and teaching and therefore the preaching and teaching of every true minister of Christ, it is in fact the very work of Christ. It is the very work of Jesus that is going on. Do we understand that? If, if Paul, as he says here, if he has been commissioned by Jesus Christ, and that's what the word apostle means, apostle means sent forth with a commission, and the commission came from Jesus Christ himself, sent forth with a commission. And Paul labors as an under-shepherd, under the shepherd, then this is Jesus Christ himself working through Paul. Jesus bodily now sits in heaven at the right hand of God. He has ascended into heaven. And this is the beginning of the, the New Testament church. Well, how is Jesus working? He works in and through his ministers, his apostles, first of all, in the first case, and the evangelists. But as they disappeared, it was then through the pastors and teachers, as we read in Ephesians 4. This is Jesus speaking and laboring. And do we see that in the church of today, around the world, in true churches everywhere? Then particularly it is that Jesus, the King and the great prophet and priest, is working in and through the ministry of the word, through the preachers of the gospel. Paul desires for them to know this. But it's not only for the Colossians that that. Paul labors. Notice he says, what conflict I have for you, the Colossians, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Laodicea was a city not far away from Colossae who was very similar to them in different ways, similar sorts of life, similar sorts of struggles that they face there. But also for those who had not seen his face, there were many because there were many other preachers, and, and Paul recognizes that. There were many who had come to the faith through, uh, through other faithful ministers, like Timothy and Titus, for example, or the evangelist Philip, or through the ministry of Apollos, or from faithful ministers such as Epaphras. The, the gospel was going out through many different ones. And therefore, Paul knows that, and he also knows this, that Satan's at work. Satan hates the church. He's failed in what he hoped to do, which was to destroy Christ when, he, when Christ came forth from the woman. Remember Revelation, the great red dragon who wanted to destroy the man-child. But now the man-child has done his work and he's in heaven. He knows he's a defeated foe and he's going about as a roaring lion. And he hates this church. And he's powerfully at work trying to overthrow the truth. Paul knows that. And he knows that part of this Gnostic teaching is part of the, the absolute fiery attack of Satan to try and overthrow that truth. And therefore he, he strives and he labors and he struggles for all Christians, for everyone, those who hadn't, hadn't ever seen his face like us. We've never seen Paul's face. And yet as we read these things, we, we ought to hear them personally being spoken to our soul. Brethren, take this on board. Do, do we understand this as, as being the reality of what happens in the Christian church? 
that this is the work of Jesus Christ who knows it more than, than we know it. He sees all of that spiritual warfare and he sees Satan going about and he sees the attacks that are coming against us day by day and he sends forth his ministers into the world and into his church that, that they may set forth his work and strive and labour and struggle in that way. But you know, we, we ought to also take this to heart even more personally because this applies right to us, not just to, to, to ministers. In your walk in the Christian life, you, as, as you are called to walk with Christ, you are not just to strive and to know and to love Jesus and his truth and be strong yourself personally in the life of the church, just the same as with Paul. I mean, Paul was an apostle and he'd received marvelous things. What was the purpose of it? So he could give himself fully to agonize for others. Is, is, this, is this our purpose too, as we live the Christian life? Or do we mainly just focus upon ourselves and sort of think, oh yeah, I need to do this and, and this for me and this for me and, and, and so forth nowhere to live our lives knowing that God has placed you and me in the church for the benefit of others. This was so heavy on Paul's heart. We are to be shining lights for his grace and truth to give all of our effort to know that truth and then to share that truth with others that we might be used of our Savior to bless and to strengthen others. Christ working in us too. Paul, he does these things for them. And, and we see that. That's, that's for, for, their, for their benefit, for their blessing. He says, for you, for the Laodiceans, for all who have not seen my face. But we also ought to understand that word for is, doesn't just simply mean for the benefit of, for the blessing of. It also has the idea of because of or concerning. I agonize concerning you, because of you. What, what does Paul mean by that? Well, it's what I was alluding to before. He agonizes concerning the, the Colossians because he from afar is seeing this Gnostic false teaching coming against them. And he says, because of you. I sit back and I look at you and I see your faith and I hope and I love and your love that you have in Christ and I rejoice in that and, and I desire that you might be growing in that and yet I see this horrible, as it were, horrible dark cloud that's coming across that Satan's trying to bring upon you. He knows the great enemies. He knows the serious warfare and he knows all of the false teachings and what's more, he knows the human heart. You see, he knows himself and his own heart and therefore he knows others' hearts as well and he knows what the Word of God says about the human heart and he knows that this is a most serious threat. This Gnostic type idea. And therefore, he agonizes because of them, concerning them. He has such a heart for them. And this also, remember, is a reflection of the fact that this is Jesus' work. And, and do you see then, through Paul, you're actually looking at, at the work of Christ. It's a dim reflection because it's man, but nevertheless, it's there. Jesus Christ is also at war for you. He, 
with all of his host of angels. Remember, the, the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ that we're given in the scripture is not one of a far off person that you have a dim idea of seeing. He is coming. Jesus said, behold, I come quickly. And in Revelation, you see him on his white horse and dressed in those robes with the sword on his thigh, thundering forth, conquering and to conquer. That's the picture of Jesus Christ. And he's doing that actively in his church, coming with the host of his angels, engaged in a warfare for your soul and for your spiritual good. There's never any doubt, of course, about him winning the war. But, but all of that then brings home to us the seriousness of the situation that we face. Are we aware of this? Of the spiritual warfare? That's why, that's why Paul sees it and he knows it. That's why he's agonizing about this. Are, are we aware of this, for example, for your own pastor? That he's called to be in the forefront of that war with Satan's lies and Satan's false teachings that, that he knows is going to come against the very, very flock and that he needs to strive for your good by bringing warning and systematic teaching and encouragement and comfort and, and so on, everything that is called to be brought. Are we aware of this for each other? Do we look around at our brothers and sisters in Christ in the congregation and are we so aware of how frail each one of us are and how easily we fall and how easily we're deceived into thinking all sorts of lies that, that Satan tries to bring in in different ways and that we stand in a spiritual battle and that we are to be striving and caring and praying and teaching and encouraging one another in a loving and a holy way. May we have this kind of desire also within the church of Jesus Christ, as Paul does. But Paul also reveals here the purpose of his desire. Now, verse 2 begins that, and, and we've seen before that word so often means in order that. I, I will that you know of this agonizing and this striving and this struggle that I have for you in order that your hearts may be comforted. And this, this first thing, that your hearts may be comforted, is really, if you like, uh, the summary and what he says on from there sort of then fills in and outlines more of what it means that our hearts would be comforted. This word comfort is one of these words that we've looked at before. It's that word parakaleo, that word that means to call beside, that picture of, of sitting down on a, on a couch or a bench and saying to your friend, hey, friend, come and, come and sit down beside me. As it were, you put your arm around them and you, you have that heart-to-heart that -heart talk with one another. And so the, the concepts that come out of this word are, are quite broad. So that this word means to instruct. It means to bring the beautiful truth to bear upon people's lives, which isn't always easy, but, but it's instruction as a friend. It also means encouragement. It means to strengthen and encourage and hearten. And, and it has that kind of idea so that rather than feeling weak and timid and afraid to, to strengthen someone's heart so they're encouraged and ready to face things. And it means, of course, to comfort. If we're full of light and knowledge and to see things as we ought to see them and we're heartened and encouraged and strengthened, 
then we're also at peace. We have a comfort and a peace in knowing these things. That's, that's the whole idea of these words. Paul desires this for the Colossians in order that they may be instructed and encouraged and comforted. But Paul goes on. He desires that, that their hearts may be comforted specifically in this way, that they would be knit together in love. The word knit means a very close binding. If you've seen, you know, ladies, what they do with their little sticks and knit and that sort of thing, it, it all comes together and it's all bound in with one another. And that's the idea of this, this word also, to be, to be knit together. The purpose of the whole of a Christian's being and life is, is to have just one focus, and that's the love of God. That's why Jesus said, what's the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. And the second is like unto it, to love your neighbour as yourself. And on those two laws hang all the law and the prophets. That, that as it were, sums up. So this love that is spoken of here is, first of all, primarily the love of God. God is love, just the same as he is every one of his other attributes. And there is no true love without him. Unless we are joined to him and know him and have his life in us, then we cannot love. That is the love of God for us that comes in Christ Jesus and in salvation. So it's the love of him for us, first of all, that we would be knit together in that. But then secondarily, we love him because he first loved us. So therefore, he wakens in us by his spirit a love for God. A love for his truth. And then flowing out of that, as that relationship is made right, then by the spirit of grace and salvation, we actually come to love each other. That whole being decision to do nothing but good toward another, to esteem another, and to seek the closest fellowship and communion with another. And so it's that love also. These things that are all tied in together. This is the, the love whereby we are knit together. And of course, you can't be knit. Uh, you can't just take one bit of fluff, as it were, and say, well, there's my knitting. Okay? Your knitting involves the whole lot of all the strands all put together. And, and so it is. We can't just simply individually experience this love. It's collectively being knit together in this love of God, the body of Christ together. So this instruction and encouragement and comfort comes through the laboring of the preaching and the teaching. And the whole body is knit together as they strengthen one another in that one purpose of loving God and loving neighbor in all that that means. But even more, then Paul unfolds it more. Okay, And you can see how this is the fullness of Christ. You understand that this is absolutely all important as, as these things are unfolded by Paul. It's in order that they may receive also all riches. And, and here's the further purpose of, of Paul. And here the Holy Spirit is revealing to us something which is in opposition to both the Gnostic lie of that, of that day, but also the same lie that's being brought to us today. The error in that day was this teaching that individual, an individual person, because they were so special in and of themselves, and, and particularly the Gnostics saw that were certain people who had a better ability. They were higher academically and so forth. And, and because they were better in themselves as a person, 
then they could, by their own efforts, and out of this special thing in themselves, that they could attain to this higher knowledge and, and so even rise even more higher than other people. But the Holy Spirit completely rejects that idea uh, here. And interestingly enough, it's beautifully rejected so that even though Gnostic teaching would not come to its fullest expression till about another hundred years after this time, yet already here the Holy Spirit has, as it were, ripped the foundations out from, from underneath it. Uh, and, and the same with many other errors that have come, all wonderfully dealt with by the Spirit in the, in the complete scriptures. But it's also the answer to the lie of today. The lie of today says that an individual... That, that they are, they ought to be authentic to themselves. The lie of today says right now what's being said in our society is that, that your inner self needs to be authentically expressed. And whatever you are and whatever you feel yourself to be in, in as it were, your psychology and so on is what you need to be allowed to be. And you need to be affirmed in who you want to express yourself to be. Even if you want to express yourself as a, a woman, where in fact you're a man, then, then that's good. And that's your authentic self coming out. And it needs to be expressed and affirmed. And, and that's the only way in which you will fulfill your own destiny and reap wonderful treasures and rewards for yourself. That's a lie. Just as much as the Gnostic teaching was a lie in the day of the Colossians. God says something different and demolishes this lie. In... Chapter 1, verse 27, remember you, we saw that the, the Spirit says it's God's will to reveal the riches of the, the greatest mystery to all the saints. Notice, all the saints, not some special individual people who were smarter than others or anything like that. To every single believer. And Paul now says that he is laboring that every Christian may have the riches and treasures of the knowledge and grace which are found where? Within ourselves and within our own psychology and within our own expressing of our authentic selves. Nothing like it. It's found in the knowledge and grace of God and of Christ which comes to us and transforms us. That's what we need to have happen to us. Not to express our authentic inner self. Our authentic inner self is perverted and ugly and horrible and deserves to be in hell forever. And Christ came to rescue us from our wretched authentic inner self and to transform us into something that is most beautiful and wondrous and brought back to being in the image of God, to be conformed to the image of His Son, that's what salvation is. And, and that's the beauty. The mystery, remember mystery refers to a truth that was hidden but is now revealed. That mystery is the knowledge of God and of the Father and of Christ, as Paul says here. It's to come to know God by His Word and by His Spirit, by believing in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, being, Him being raised from the dead. And so we... As we read further in Colossians, we also are raised from the dead. We're made alive again. And we can understand and see the truth to know that. And then stand alive with the eternal omnipotent God as my Father who cares for me. 
It's to know personally that Jesus has accomplished my salvation and is accomplishing it and will complete that wonderful work that he has begun. That is most wonderful knowledge. And we as God's people have been led out of our own foolishness and into the rich knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul calls it the riches, the riches of a full assurance. Is it possible to have anything more than these riches? The riches of of the knowledge and the transforming life that God has given to his people in Christ Jesus? To know that that we, by the work of God, that, that we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. And that wondrous faith has taken me and, and joined me, united me to Jesus Christ, who is both God and man. So that all of his perfect work of destroying sin and destroying Satan's work and the taking and paying all of the penalty has been applied to me and I've been acquitted before the justice seat of God and that all the penalty is paid and I'm washed clean by his blood, that all of his perfect and pure and most wondrous righteousness, which earns and merits with God more than we can understand, has been taken and applied to me and I now stand in pure and white robes of righteousness before God and I will stand in them forevermore. That all of Christ's benefits of his redemption are now mine by faith, by the wonderful work of God that he has worked in me, so that God is my Father and he's using all things perfectly for my good every minute of the day, even the hard things, even the trials, even the things of great pain. He he is bringing for my good. And he's at work to destroy that horrible remaining corruption in me, which I struggle with every day and that I'm so aware of and that grieves me. And he's placed me in the midst of his church in which I can be protected and cared for, in which there are ministers who strive and labor and toil that I might be fed, that Jesus might feed his flock and gently carry those that are with young. And finally, he draws us to himself in death and we will depart to be with him for eternity. Can you tell me of anything that is greater riches and treasures than that? And thus Paul says we have the riches of a full assurance. And it is so important that we really know this, know this in the depths of our soul. The problem is we forget. The problem is that we we get lazy in our Christian life. We become cold and we so easily get led astray into all sorts of wrong and selfish thinking and ideas and living and sin clouds the truth so often. And therefore, Paul, knowing this, he strives and he labors and he agonizes that all of God's people may be brought to know the fullness of their life and the fullness of assurance in Jesus, their Savior. Finally, we come to Paul's reason that he sets forth here. His, his reason, notice uh, Paul says in verse 5, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit. 
We need to be careful of these expressions, particularly when there is all sorts of wrong ideas around the place. You've probably heard that one where, uh, you know, in movies and stuff, someone dies and they say, oh, never mind, their spirit is always with you. No, it's not. Okay, that, that, that's wrong. All right, just plain wrong. Their spirit, their soul has departed. And if they're believers, it's in heaven. And it's not with you. It's in heaven, without a doubt. Okay, uh, the, the truth that's being spoken here is not that Paul is kind of saying somehow mystically, even though he's far away from the Colossians, that his soul or his spirit sort of floats over and somehow it's with them or that their soul floats over. And No, 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 no. Not at all. He's indicating more, in fact, of that wonderful truth that unites the hearts and lives of true Christians all over the globe. And it's, it's this, it's in Christ. It's not this kind of direct, these spirits floating around the place or anything like that. No, it's, it's in Christ. We have been united into his body, and that's the church. And every other member of that invisible body of Christ, we are united to through him. It's through him. And only through him. It's the, it's the spirit of Christ that he's talking about here. And therefore, because of that wonderful Holy Spirit that works in us and dwells in us by Christ, that also dwells in others, it's through the Spirit of Christ that he is speaking in these things. And his desire, therefore, is for all other Christians. Oh, he, he never knows them. In fact, he died thousands of years before we were born. And yet, there is that sense in which, as he writes this, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that that this is the idea. And that's the same for us too. That, that we too, in that sense, are united with all the saints in heaven that we've never met. And yet, in Christ Jesus, we're united to all of them. One with them in Christ. And because of that, he rejoices in their steadfast faith. He rejoices in their steadfast faith. And this comes then into the, the, the reasoning. Paul says he joys or rejoices in their good order and the steadfastness of their faith in Christ. And the idea of the, the order and the steadfastness is a faith that's solidly based. Faith in Jesus Christ is not something that is faith in a kind of a waffly, whiffly feeling. And that's so often what the world tries to say. Oh, Christian's faith is just this blind, oh yeah, it must be true. It's not true. Our faith is in Jesus Christ, the one who really came into this earth to live the life of salvation because the first Adam failed, who was a real person as well, 6,000 years ago, who fell. Our faith is based on the fact that this world is dying with the horrendousness of sin that is seen all around about us. Our faith is based upon the truth that Jesus Christ sits in heaven right now. Our faith is based upon the truth of God, this truth which is set down in the word of God and it's the solid foundation upon which the whole of our life is built. The order and the steadfastness of a faith is a faith that is solidly based upon the systematic truth that God has given to his church and his word, all of which centers in Jesus Christ, creator, Lord, King, Savior and Shepherd. Paul rejoices in such a faith. 
And therefore, he continually labors to edify the church in the truth, warning and systematically teaching every man that he may overthrow error. Because just as much as this is truth, there is the lie that comes to attempt to overthrow the factual truth of what this life is about. So that he may have every man glad and strong in the treasures of wisdom and faith. And you know, he uses a, a particular expression here found in only one other place in the New Testament. The, the last phrase of that, that verse 5 is actually the steadfastness of your into Christ faith. Your into Christ faith. That's literally what he says. And so, you see, this is not that we have this nebulous idea of a faith here and that kind of leads us into Christ, but rather... Faith actually takes us and unites us in Christ, or if you like, even into Christ. We are united to him. We are grafted into him, as the, the scripture puts it. We are into Christ. We're saved by actually being personally joined to him, to know him in that way. Now, faith is an into Christ. Faith. That's the faith that he desires for us to really know and understand for all of us in the church to have. One in which the, our whole world view and our hope and our trust and our life is completely enfolded in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his central truth. This is the desire. His, his reason is because he wants the church to, to have that foundation and to know of that settled into Christ and he goes on to speak of that as we'll see later in Colossians 2 but Paul's other reason is that he knows the deception that is out there verse 4 Paul desires that we may be avoid being deceived the Colossians faced all sorts of clever lies and the reason why they were clever is because they really appealed to human nature and and the lies of our society do too the purpose of those lies is to lead people away from the fullness of life and assurance and growth in Christ alone. It's the same class of lies as we've already seen today, which our enemy, the devil, continues to use against the church. There's nothing new under the sun. Persuasive arguments that say you're going to miss out in life if you keep on hanging on to this Christian stuff. Unless you follow what the world is saying and doing, you're kind of a bit unscientific and you're back in the dark ages and you're hanging on to all sorts of crutches and uh, you know, you're really uh, oppressive and harmful to other people and you name it. It, it. it hits, doesn't it? But this word, this word sets before us what Paul knew to be true in his day and of course it's unchanging truth for us today as well. The lies of beguiling men will set you on a path, a road to misery and destruction, as it's done to so many people's lives already. But the Holy Spirit speaks powerfully. It speaks clearly to us today of the, the riches, of the treasures of Christ Jesus that we have received and continue to receive. Paul agonizes. He, he is there striving that the Colossians may be comforted. May it be today that, that you are instructed and encouraged and comforted in your into Christ faith. 
so that you see that you are found in him in in all things and that you know and behold by faith those riches and treasures of your God, your heavenly Father and your Christ. Amen. Let's stand to pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we, we hear these things, our heart rejoices to hear them, and yet we also get the sense in which we have not even fully grasped the depth of the treasure which you have given to us in our salvation. We pray that you may continue to enable us to be growing in these things. Lord, forgive us for the ways in which we stray and we become cold and stir us up once again that we may see that our Saviour is the one who works in such a way that we may know Him, be more and more living in Him, in all of His truth. Hear our prayers, bless us on this Sabbath day, and may your name be honoured and glorified in all of it. We pray it in Jesus Christ. Amen.